Hello and welcome back to the Take a Trip podcast. This is episode nine and as you can tell by the title, today we're going to be speaking about a very mysterious death in Oslo, Norway. Today's episode features themes of suicide and I will be talking in depth about a crime scene. So if these kind of things make you uncomfortable, I'll see you next Thursday for another episode. But if you decide to stay, let's get into it. Jennifer Fairgate was found dead in a Norwegian hotel room. Her cause of death was a gunshot wound to the forehead. At first glance, it appeared to be a suicide. However, upon closer inspection, her death raised a lot of questions. What happened to this girl? And how did it end in her being buried in an unmarked grave, never to be mourned by her family or friends? On the 3rd of June, 1995, at the Radisson Blue Plaza Hotel in Oslo, Norway, a receptionist named Evie Jertsen raised alarms because some guests in room 2805 had exceeded their credit limit. They had not paid for their room in three days. They had stayed there three days and there was no credit card information supplied. So obviously the staff needed the guests to pay as soon as possible. Evie sent a message to the room to alert the guests. She did this by displaying text on the TV in room 2805, which read, please contact the cashier at around 7.30 p.m. that night. So for context, Radisson Blue, as many people know, is a very luxurious hotel to stay in and their rates really do reflect that. I did some Googling and I actually found that the same hotel that we're talking about right now is currently going for £109 per night. So it's definitely a little bit on the expensive side. However, whoever stays at Radisson in Norway has serious money because I'm not gonna lie to you, both places require some serious funds. When Evie sent this TV text message to the room though, someone in the room actually acknowledged this message by clicking OK on the remote control. So there was life in this room and someone confirmed it by hitting that OK button. But when she checked the hotel's database, Evie realized that two similar messages regarding the room occupant's credit card information had already been sent. This meant that the guests had been in the room for three entire days without spending a penny. This is in a big Radisson hotel. How the hell did they manage that? When they looked closer into how the occupants had left and entered the room, they found that the guests had only left the room on the first day, but they remained locked inside the room for the second and third day. And in total, the key card was only used five times. So obviously, Evie grew more suspicious and she decided to approach the housekeeping team to try and figure out what was actually happening with the occupants of the room. Housekeeping informed her that no one had been inside the room since Thursday due to a big red do not disturb sign that was hung on the door handle for the whole of that Friday and Saturday. The woman ordered a room service meal and that was one of the last times that any of the employees had seen her. And this freaked Evie out at this point and by now she was sensing a lot of danger and immediately she alerted security about the issue. So now we are going to talk about Espen Nice. He was a 24 year old night shift security guard at the Plaza Hotel and he was the one to receive the news about the guests in room 2805 who were not responding to the receptionist messages and were not paying for their hotel room. Upon hearing this, he decided to investigate. Espen took the elevator to the 28th floor and eventually he reached 2805. The time had just hit 7.50pm and still there was no sign of the couple. 
Espen reached out and knocked on the door to the room. However, to his surprise, a few seconds after he knocked on that door, Espen heard a loud bang coming from room 2805. He rushed to find cover as his mind instantly went to the thought of a gunshot. And he actually stood in a crevice in the same corridor and waited a few minutes just in case anyone emerged from the room or if more gunshots were to follow. But all he found was silence. Espen had a two-way radio on him, which they would regularly use to inform each other about situations in the security team, but he wanted to avoid creating panic throughout the hotel, so he chose not to use it. Instead of using his radio, Espen rushed downstairs to the guard station, which was at the reception. In total, it took the security 15 minutes to return back to the room. And if you know anything about crime, or you have even just basic medical knowledge, you would know that 15 minutes is a crucial time frame because it's enough time for a perpetrator to make a run for it. And 15 minutes is also long enough for someone to pass away from untreated wounds. During this time, however, Oslo police received a call from the Plaza Hotel and they began to make their way over. The head of security decided that he wanted to head back upstairs after all those lost minutes and he wanted to try and make sense of the situation before the police came. He went to room 2805, knocked, waited, knocked a second time, waited some more, knocked a third time, waited again, and still there was no answer. Security had noted that the door had been double locked on the inside and the people who could gain access at this point were the security guards. By 8.04pm that night, the head of security unlocked the door to room 2805. As he did so, the instant smell of death and decay filled the hallways. As they entered, they found a young woman lying face up with her arm on her chest. She was laying eerily still and they realised that her chest wasn't moving. The room was so silent and so dark as they edged inside to the point where the security actually got kind of creeped out and they decided to leave the inspecting to the police who arrived on scene around 30 minutes afterwards. When the police got a closer look, they discovered a young woman, maybe in her 20s, with short black hair and bright blue eyes. She was around 5 foot 2 and weighed around 147 pounds, which is around 66.7 kilos. She was blankly staring at the ceiling, and when the light allowed officers to see her full face, a gunshot wound was found in the very centre of her forehead. She had a browning 9mm pistol in her right hand and she was laying down on the bed. To the police, it was an evident suicide. However, they could not figure out the whole deal regarding the other guest who was supposedly sharing the room with this woman. Only the woman's possessions were found in the room, excusing one half-empty cologne bottle, and this led investigators to believe that the woman who lived in the room was on her own for those three days, and she had committed suicide the same night that the security guard had come knocking on her door. They claimed that the gunshot that the guard heard was the one that had ended her life. The bullet actually shot through her forehead, into her brain, out the back of her head, and had buried itself into the concrete floor beneath her bed. So, for police, like I said, it seemed straightforward. And it was even radioed before the crime scene technicians even arrived, saying that the case was almost certainly a suicide. However, their next steps to identify the woman and inform the family about their loss were what was going to make this case turn upside down. So the deceased woman was named in hotel records as Jennifer Fairgate, 
And I'm going to refer to her as Jennifer throughout the rest of this episode because I don't want to create confusion by calling her the woman one minute and Jennifer the next. So I'm just going to refer to her as Jennifer. So Jennifer was this young woman who seemingly just seemed to check herself into a hotel and take her own life, right? Well, there were some inconsistencies in her case and the police discovered that Jennifer actually had no form of ID or any credit cards anything to verify her identity. On her checking card, she wrote that her date of birth was August the 23rd, 1973, and her home address was 0748 Rue de la Stade, 7968 Villaine, Belgium. She stated that she worked for Service Belgia, and she had also left a phone number with a Belgian area code. However, when police went to track down the woman's home using this information, Obviously, they wanted to tell her family about the sad situation that had happened in the hotel. They soon found out that all of the information that Jennifer had given was false. None of the information that she supplied led back to anyone. Jennifer even spelt her own surname wrong on the check-in card, which is really interesting because the hotel staff wrote her name down as Fair, F-A-I-R Gate, but she wrote her name down as Fair, F-E-R Gate. Her fingerprints didn't show any matches in the police's database either, and when Espen asked the police if the Fairgates were dangerous people when he heard the shots, the police couldn't find any records in their name at all. So I decided to go on Reddit because I know that people on Reddit are very passionate about unsolved mysteries, and I read something very interesting. So I found a post from you slash friend comprehensive two, and they were talking about the information that Jennifer had supplied to this hotel. So this user noted that the beginning of the address, Rue de la, is French, but Stad is apparently German for station. I did try to translate the word station on Google Translate, but you know, not very credible source um, because you know, in Germany they might use other words. So if you're German, let me know, please but they translated the entire address to French. And sure enough, Rue de la Station exists in Belgium instead of Rue de la Stade. So maybe this could have been a slip in memory from purposely trying to give misinformation. Or maybe she was fed information and told, you need to tell the hotel people that you live here. It just seems like she accidentally wrote down the Stade part and she probably meant to write Station, but Regardless of all of this, the question still stands. Was it suicide or was it something more sinister? Let's have a bit of a closer look at the crime scene. When Jennifer was found, she had a 9mm Browning pistol in her right hand and it was resting on her chest. This gun is typically only found to be associated with either criminals or the military. Jennifer was also clutching the gun upside down, as in her thumb was on the trigger. In the hotel room, they also found a black bag containing 25 bullet cartridges. And as well as that, they found that the gun she had shot actually shot twice in the hotel room. The other bullet was found to have been shot through a pillow and into the mattress. And the police suspected that this was maybe Jennifer's way of testing how to silence the gun so that she wouldn't attract any attention. But inside the pistol, another bullet was found in the chamber, readily loaded and ready to be shot and there was also another seven rounds in the clip. So altogether, the number of live rounds in this woman's possession was 34. 
she had 34 live rounds on her and hardly any other possessions other than that. These were all found in the room or in her luggage. And the other interesting fact about this gun that I found was that the serial number was burned off using acid professionally. So could this be tied to the fact that maybe, uh, you know, every single label had been cut out of her clothing? This just raises so many questions for me. Who is this woman? What is her story? And why is she trying, or why is someone else trying, so hard to conceal her identity? What is there to hide? So a lot more people decided to look more into why the hell someone would need to bring so many bullets if their only goal was to commit suicide. Some people theorised that maybe she planned to hurt other people first, but many sources contemplated the idea that this woman wasn't actually responsible for the ammunition or even for her death. The fact that the gun was still in her hand post-mortem was really strange, and if you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode about this, you'll see that they go very in-depth about the fact that pistols give a decent bit of kickback, meaning that if you're going to shoot yourself through your head and you have a gun in your hand, the kickback from that gun is going to be so hard to the point where you and your already damaged brain is probably not going to be able to grip onto that gun post-mortem. How the hell did a woman shoot herself in the brain and manage to grip the gun so hard to the point where it just didn't fly across the room? The staff from the Plaza Hotel were interviewed and they all shared really concerning details. The staff recalled a man being with Jennifer at the hotel. And remember at the beginning how I said that there was a couple staying in room 2805? Well, it actually turned out that Jennifer had also checked in a man named Louis Fairgate. And she alerted the hotel about this the night before she reached the hotel, even though she had already booked a room for one just a few days prior. The change was really last minute though, and it was literally a few hours before she got there. And when the two actually arrived at the hotel, it was around 10.25, I believe, they were checking in during the hotel's rush hour, so it was very easy for them to go completely undetected. So who is this man? Who is Lois? And why did he suddenly enter the picture? Well, police actually went to investigate Lois Fairgate as a suspect, but as you can imagine, his identity was false as well. They heard that a man was staying in the room opposite Jennifer though, and he went by the name Mr. F, and for some reason in every source, I cannot find his full name. He only goes by Mr. F, but apparently this Mr. F guy had mentioned Jennifer's death a day before her body was discovered, which is obviously, uh, that's a huge red flag, but the police could not find this man anywhere. And it was especially strange because the other neighbors in the hotel were questioned, and they claim to hear absolutely nothing. So why is this guy who's conveniently called Mr. F, why did he hear something a day before the woman even died? That's mad weird to me, I can't lie. So this Mr. F guy obviously made people really suspicious. A lot of people think that the room being unattended for 15 minutes after a gunshot was heard was more than enough time for a potential murderer to run away. Some sources also investigated into the half-eaten plate of food that Jennifer left on the table. It looked as though she was just casually eating some dinner and then suddenly stopped because there might have been a knock on the door or maybe someone had entered her flat. And like I said, she almost had no personal items, not even money or ID. She literally just had a bag with multiple tops. And when I say tops, I mean as in multiple bras and blouses and blazers 
but she had no trousers. She only had stockings and the skirt that she was wearing. So the police had a variety of theories and I found these from the VG article. By the way, I'm gonna link this article down below because it went really in depth and that's what I used to help base this whole episode around. So the police theorized the following. Could the Plaza woman be part of a major drug operation where maybe something went wrong so that maybe she had to kill herself or others killed her? Or did she work for a secret intelligence service a lot of people like this theory and I noticed that it's very common on all of the forums and threads that I found relating to this case. Was that why she had moved all of her identity clues? It would make a lot of sense. Or was she a professional assassin who had come to Norway to kill someone and got caught up and actually it backfired? Was she a high-end sex worker who operated in hotels? Was she a depressed woman who just wanted to end her life? Or was she part of an Italian mafia case? That's right. The police even went as far as looking into the theory that Jennifer Fairgate was a mafia boss's missing wife. But the Italian police actually came back about this and they said, no, she is not his wife. This is a completely different person. So obviously the body went to autopsy and the autopsy report confirmed that she had died by a gunshot wound to the head. And some people think that she had died pretty much immediately. Others think it was blood loss. There was not really much else to report on her body's condition though. Other than that, she seemed pretty normal. Her half-eaten meal that she ordered from the room service was actually found inside her stomach, but I couldn't really find that much information regarding that. A year after the incident, the police had apparently checked every single route they could and the case turned cold. I mean, what else can you do if someone has supplied false information? I mean, you can do DNA testing, which we're gonna get onto, but, I mean, other than that, there's not really much else for them to go on. No one knew anything about this woman. They didn't even know where she came from. They couldn't find any flight records. So they didn't even know how the woman got inside the country. And just like that, the case turned cold. On Wednesday, the 26th of June, 1996, almost 13 months after her death, Jennifer had a very lonely funeral. No friends, no family. In fact, there was no familiar faces at all. She was laid to rest in an unmarked grave in a cemetery in Oslo. And in 2016, she was actually exhumed for DNA testing. And the only results that came away from that was that she was of European descent and she was aged between 25 to 30 years old. But they put her back to rest and now she's resting again, hopefully permanently. And everyone is still asking, who the hell is this woman and what is her story? So there's only a few small pieces of certain information we have about this woman regarding her identity. And that's the receptionist at the hotel claimed that she had an East German accent and she had short brown, possibly dyed hair. It was cut very short into sort of like a pixie cut. And she had these vibrant blue eyes. When housekeeping entered her room before she put the do not disturb sign up, the housekeeping woman actually saw a pair of very vibrant high heels but they were missing from the crime scene, along with other clothes that housekeeping had seen. The woman also had gold and porcelain dental work done, which is actually very popular in Switzerland, Germany and North America, and also other parts of Europe. So did she live in any of these areas or had she just gone to these countries to get dental work done and then gone back to wherever she came from? A lot of arrows generally point to Belgium, 
a lot of people do believe that she came from Belgium, but no one came out and said that they knew this woman. No one came out about anything about her. And it's so weird how someone can just almost not exist, but exist at the same time. So what do you think? Do you agree with the Oslo police or do you disagree? Do you think there's another cause of death that people haven't really looked into yet? Me personally, I just think that it was probably foul play. Just with the amount of weird information that is found and the amount of inconsistencies in her case, the fact that the room was left for 15 minutes is really scary. But then again, the door was double locked from inside. And the only people that could access a room that was double locked from inside would be security. So that would just raise my suspicion towards security staff, if anything. I doubt that a normal person would be able to kill someone and escape a 28 storey building without alerting anyone, you know? So yeah, this case completely weirded me out. This is basically where it ends. We're still asking questions. We don't know who Jennifer is. Um, if you believe that you do know who Jennifer is, then I'm gonna leave some links down below where you can submit information to the Oslo police um, regarding this case. Pretty much everyone's just scratching their heads at this point. The Reddit threads are very, very interesting. I would suggest if you're very interested in this case, go and have a look at the Reddit threads because they go really in depth on every single small detail. I even found a forum where there was a police officer, um, I believe from Norway, asking about the watch that Jennifer was found wearing because she had this weird diver's watch and they noticed that the batteries had been switched so the original batteries weren't actually inside the watch and they had been replaced so they, they were trying to trace down where the hell these batteries were replaced but still they came to nothing it just feels like every lead you get in this case just leads you to nothing and it's so frustrating maybe with future dna testing we might be able to find a bit more about where the girl was from um but in terms of her life and her story we know nothing and it's just really interesting but also really sad because you don't know if she wanted it to be this way. It would break my heart if she was someone who was just an innocent member of society who got targeted by the wrong person or the wrong people. Thank you so much for listening to the Take A Trip podcast. This was episode nine and oh my gosh, guys, we've got the visuals coming next week. We've got the visuals coming, guys. Episode 10. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel and you'll be able to see a more visual aspect of my podcast. I'll be showing you pictures of people that I'm talking about. I'll show you pictures of the places that I'm talking about. If you're one of those people who prefer putting a face to a name, then go ahead to the YouTube channel. It's down below go and subscribe also could you do me a huge favor if you're listening to this right now go ahead and click follow on whatever streaming platform you're listening to me on because then you can keep up to date with my podcast you can see where my uploads are and also go and follow the take a trip podcast on instagram as well all the links are down below for my socials so go and help yourself to all of that goodness but thank you for making it through another episode this one was very intriguing and also very frustrating because i just wish cases like this would be solved but they're on unsolved mysteries for a reason honey um by the way unsolved mysteries did do an episode on this it's on netflix i believe it's the reboot of unsolved mysteries i believe it's season two episode two um so yeah go and check it out it's called a death in oslo very mysterious i get very bad vibes from this case so i'm gonna wrap it up here you lot enjoy your day be good enjoy the sun i'll see you next thursday for another episode 
Bye.